Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have my friend, Jim Neuheiser. Jim, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yes, sir. Uh, well, can you just catch us up on what's going on in your life, marriage, ministry, and what are you working on ministry project-wise? Well, in terms of ministry, my main ministry is teaching students at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte. And I am just so blessed by the kind of students the Lord is sending us, a lot of them now who've been in the program for a while are actually doing counseling, and we see them doing an amazing job, and that's very exciting. Uh, I'm also involved with the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, and we actually have a new set of observation videos coming out on the subject of abuse with uh, Chris Moles and Jeremy Pierre and others that we think is really going to be a major contributor in our movement. And I had nothing to do with it other than say, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Go ahead, and I hope we have enough money. So that's also being released very soon. And then Carolyn and I have had the privilege of doing a lot of travel. We were in South Africa in August with uh, one of the pillars and founders of our movement, Dr. Wayne Mack, and his wife Carol, and other family members there. And it just seems like the Lord is giving us a lot of great opportunity to uh, speak about the sufficiency of His Word to all things. And it seems a lot of it's focused on the family issues. So it's been a great season. Caroline is doing also, she's helping me. My wife, Caroline, works with the women here at RTS, both in mentoring them, counseling them, helping to train them. And and we counsel together, and now she's about to become an author. She's working on a book and has a contract, and I think soon I'm going to be the guy you know, sitting at the table selling her books while she's speaking, so she, she, she may surpass me soon. <laughs> well, I know that you'll no doubt enjoy that very much, so that's that's really wonderful to hear. Um, what the Lord is up to there, RTS Charlotte, with, with you guys, um, with IBCD and, and everything, so very thankful to hear that. Well, can you uh, please tell us about this, this new book? that you have coming out here soon, Money, Seeking God's Wisdom. Why did you write it and how do you hope it'll be received? Yeah, well, it's really PNR, Presbyterian Reformed, who came up with the idea for a series of biblical counseling devotionals that would be suitable for 31 days. They're all fairly brief. I think it's more than a daily bread type of thing, but maybe it might be a, a morning and evening type link. And there have been many, many different topics, pornography, anger, worry, and I had the privilege of being assigned the topic of money. Uh, one reason for that is actually before I went into full-time ministry, I was working in finance and have done a lot of thinking about this. I actually have in mind to write a big old thick book that I would like to be kind of the uh, more reformed version of Dave, Dave Ramsey and the more exegetical version of Dave Ramsey, but this would be a massive thing that I'm about a third of the way through, but I was very excited when I was offered the opportunity to kind of give the, whether the Cliff Notes version, maybe that terminology isn't used anymore, of some abbreviated version in a much more devotional way of, of summarizing the wonderful wisdom that the Word of God has to help people with their financial problems. Hmm. Well, that's really interesting. Um, so are you going to write the big thick volume? or are you, are you... Yeah, I'm about a third of the way done. It's oh, okay. actually going to be in similar format to my marriage, divorce, and remarriage with approximately 40 questions and answers that go in depth. I don't want people to wait for that before buying this one. Uh, 
PNR, I'm sure, doesn't want that either. Yeah. But like I said, that one is going to be much more of a reference type book uh, in, in more detail. That's the, the purpose of the devotional is really uh, to, to speak to the heart and you know with questions and, and thoughts and meditations to kind of you know, deal with how we face troubles. Actually, one of the greatest trials you can have financially is prosperity and how mm. to continue to walk closely with God in the midst of that. So mm. that's the focus of this one. Wonderful. I look forward. I, well, I've enjoyed this one. I look forward to your additional work on, on this subject, given your uh, expertise. Um, well, how does a good understanding of the Bible's teaching on money help Christians? Well, because the Bible enlightens the eyes. You know, Proverbs talks about wisdom actually being God's wisdom being better than earthly treasure and more desirable than gold than much fine gold. Psalm 19 says that uh, money is not just something economic. It, it is used in a sense in a common grace sphere, but for a believer, our attitude towards money is a hard issue. It's something to which the Bible speaks comprehensively. It's actually somewhat amazing, really, where much of this comes from Proverbs and principles of private property, of entrepreneurship, of skill and labor, and so kind of all the, the foundations that even in common grace have been kind of discovered by humanity are revealed in the scriptures. It's a sphere in which every one of us has to operate in the garden. God made Adam to work the garden, not to sit around and have grapes dropped into his mouth by an angel or something. After the fall, work became harder, but the Bible speaks comprehensively to this. I guess I would also add, it's what we do with most of our time for most of us. You know, most people spend the majority of their time working in order to earn money, and they have to be constantly interacting with spending money, saving money, giving money, and so it's, it's a huge part of life, and thankfully the Bible speaks comprehensively to this part of life. Yeah, that's that's really good, a really good answer. I'm really interested in this question, and your answer to it, and talking with you about it. How does a, how does a biblical understanding of money help Christians combat the prosperity gospel? Uh, Yes. Uh, I think that any careful reading of Scripture would combat the prosperity gospel. That, uh, I mean, first of all, the prosperity gospel is really adopting the bankrupt values of this world, that what you possess matters more than knowing God. And last night I was thinking about the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you, seeking you shall find, knock and it will be opened to you. And, and they'll take that and say, well, ask for a Lexus or ask for a Tesla and it'll be given to you. We'll read the preceding two and a half chapters where Jesus has said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Uh, don't put your treasure on earth, but make your treasure in heaven. When you pray, don't be like a hypocrite. Pray sincerely from the heart and don't worry, but trust God. And if, you ang if you're angry, you're a murderer. If you're guilty of lust, you're an adulterer. And then he gets to ask and it'll be given to you. Well, what you've been thinking about isn't, oh yeah, I want a pot of money. What you're thinking about is, I'm not poor in spirit. I don't hunger and thirst after righteousness as I should. I'm tempted to be angry. I'm tempted to have lust. I'm tempted to worry. Oh God, give me these things Jesus has been talking about that I could be perfect as my Father is perfect and, and live in light of you know, these truths that I could be transformed and to be like Christ. Mm -hmm. So on it goes. You look at the example in the Bible, and you read Hebrews 11, these aren't a bunch of people that had prosperity, health, and wealth all their lives, that real believers have, have struggled. The Apostle Paul, who was a much better man than any prosperity teacher will ever dream of being, uh, oftentimes didn't have enough money to even support himself in ministry and had to make tents. 
couldn't even be full-time. I've met people who said that they'd be disobedient to God to work other than getting paid to do ministry. Well, Paul wasn't disobedient to God. So, you know, we can fill your hour with this, that it's bankrupt values, it's misunderstanding Scripture, it's, and the worst part of it is that it then fosters unbelief because a stadium full of people is promised if they will give money to put jewel in whoever's jet, that somehow they're going to get wealthy and they're not going to have trouble. And then Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And you know, when trouble comes, then they think God has lied to them because the great guru teacher fed them this nonsense. And you know, First Peter, James, it's all written to say, you know, James says, I love chapter four, where he says, some of you are acting as if you're surprised by the fiery trial that has come upon you. You should not be surprised. We were totally telling you to expect this. In the book of James, faithful Christians were being mistreated by the rich in court and having their possessions taken away, not being paid for their work. And they weren't told to repent of their lack of faith so they could have buckets of money. They were told to seek the wisdom of God and to endure for the sake of Christ. So again, I, if you want me to keep going, keep going. But I think that's probably enough for now. No, that's that's really good. And that kind of ties into what you previously said in your previous answer, uh, the idea that our whole life is a stewardship before God. Um, and so, you know, money is part of that. But as you said so well in your previous answer, part of our vocation and managing our lives um, is, is in large part how we use our money. And and uh, that's stewardship. And the whole idea of stewardship is our whole lives are before the face of God and, and we'll give an account to God. And um, yeah. so, yeah, your answer is, is, is excellent. And I'd actually like to jump in with yeah. kind of the other side of it is that you have on the one hand the terribly false prosperity gospel, but then on the other hand, you have some people that misquote First Timothy 6 and say money is the root of all evil. You've had monastic movements where you're supposed to renounce possessions. You have uh, liberation theology, which is against any form of capitalism or wealth. And you know, in Proverbs 31, the godly woman makes a profit, and that's part of her godliness is contributing to the family. And that's how her husband can sit in the game. Uh, that she is making wise economic decisions and the, the, the hand of the diligent will rule, the proverb says. He says, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He won't serve ordinary men. And so the Bible is promoting diligence leading to earthly wealth ordinarily and gaining skill in your work to, to be able to legitimately provide benefit, to provide labor and products that are of great value that people are happy to hand you over a lot of money to buy your time or the, the fruit of your labor. And, and, the, and so there's a reaction against that as if we're supposed to be embarrassed to have generated wealth. And even Jesus, and I think it's Luke 8, where there were wealthy women who financed him and his disciples. And they weren't to repent of being wealthy women. They used their wealth, as First Timothy 6 says, that those who are rich in this present world should be rich in good works. He doesn't say repent of being rich. It's people who, to whom God has given skill to work hard and then to use that for the glory of God. So you've got both sides of it that you have to be aware of. I'm just sitting here nodding my head and saying amen. So, amen. <laughs> well said. Uh, what is your best counsel of those facing financial struggles? Yeah, that's another question that, it's a great question. You've given it generally because it could go in 35 different directions depending on details. But I think the first issue would be to really, you know, if I'm counseling a person who's coming in with struggles, is not to immediately put a Band-Aid on the debt or whatever, but what are the hard issues that may be contributing to these financial struggles? You're kind of like the three trees diagram, but that if there's bad fruit, 
rather than just trying to staple on some better fruit? What's going on in the heart that's leading to this trouble? And it could be a love of possessions and the, the misleading belief that if I just had more stuff, you know, I've got this iPhone 10 and I've got an 11 and I'm not satisfied. And so you dump hundreds of dollars of value by, you know, you, use, you bought the world's lie that it's going to make you happy, which is then leading you down the road to poverty. It could be the misuse of debt. Again, the, the covetousness. It could be a misunderstanding of the responsibility to work. You know, 1 Timothy 5 says that if a man doesn't uh, provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel. And the scripture says in 2 Thessalonians 3, if a man will not work, neither shall he eat. And maybe there has been a lack of wisdom from false teaching that they just expected that work, you know, the money will come easily and they need to be taught the importance of working hard to the glory of God and they need wisdom in terms of gaining skill to be able to earn more money with the same amount of time and so yeah, the beginning is you know, where is the heart and so as you see the bad fruit you're, you want to talk to somebody to find out what is the heart believe what is the heart desire that may be leading to that bad fruit there could be times when people are largely victims. You know, they've, there's disability, there's calamity, uh, other such situations. But most money problems are rooted in spiritual problems. I don't have anything to add to that. That's that's really well said. What are, what are some tools for people who are financially distressed? Right. So there is a whole toolbox in the Bible full of tools. One would be to, you know, you think of Matthew 6, 25 to 34 in terms of Jesus says we should not worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink and what we should wear. Our Heavenly Father knows we need those things. And so in some cases, there is anxiety which is unnecessary, that God has been providing and some people are prone to worry. And so they need to learn that their problem is their little faith. They need to seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, I love Matthew 6, 34, which says, don't worry about tomorrow for every day has enough trouble of its own. And the Lord is providing now. He's provided in the past and they're worried about two years from now. And that's not today's trouble. They may need to just focus on being faithful to what God has called them to today. Uh, there are other people who spend money recklessly, and another tool would be uh, Proverbs 21.5, which is my budgeting verse, that the plans of the diligent make rich, and the one who is hasty comes to poverty. Uh, and what a brilliant verse in Scripture, that if you just spend your money hastily without planning ahead of time, you're going to run out of money. If you plan how you spend the resources God has given you, then you will prosper, you, you, know, you will hopefully have savings and meet your obligations and have a cushion. Uh, again, depends on the problem. Another tool I've kind of made passing reference to is that Proverbs has a formula for prosperity, which is hard work times skill produces income or wealth. Uh, Proverbs 10 says the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs also says that a man skilled in his work will stand before kings. And so for some people, it's learning to work enough. God said in this fourth commandment, six days you shall labor. And so to be willing to work hard, but then not to try to get, not to beg for $15 an hour from the fast food joint you've been working for for three years, but to gain skills that are worth more. There's some people getting paid $200 an hour and they don't work any harder than the people who work for 10 or $15 an hour, but they have skills that employers are, are bidding against each other to obtain. And so a tool in the, the Lord's toolbox would be if you're having financial trouble, yeah, budgeting can help, but very important would be to what can I do 
to gain greater skill or pursue work that pays more could be an apprenticeship. There are a lot of people with college degrees making $12 an hour Chick-fil-A, and there are people who became plumber's apprentices out of high school that are getting six figures. And so to use the, you know, the, the wisdom that the Bible refers to to say, okay, how do I how do I address this problem? So I'm sure I'm leaving 10 other things out, but those are a few. No, that's that's really good. And, and I've, I've struggled with all of those. <laughs> It, at, at various times in my life, in particular, worry and budgeting and budgeting helps, but but we have to remember, um, you know, you said spiritual problem. It everything goes back to a spiritual problem. You know, worrying goes back to what helps me is just meditating on scripture. Um, you know, Philippians four in particular. You know, and uh, in verse four four, it, it, Paul commands us to rejoice, and the reason he commands us to rejoice is because of the sufficiency of Christ. Which you know, Philippians four thirteen, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the reason he says that is because we're re- rejoicing in in Christ and in you know in what who he is and what he's like and it's not just I can do all things as we talked about <laughs> about the prosperity gospel. Um, so God is a genie in a bo- magic bottle, and I rub the genie, and, and God gives me all things. Uh, that's that's not what Paul is saying there. It's uh, it's it's because of who Christ is and who He has revealed Himself to be in in Scripture, and you know then we respond to that by doing what verse four or four says, rejoicing in Him, finding uh, Him to be our as Jesus talks about our treasure and our delight of our soul, and and um, that has just helped me so much with with worry and about money, about life. Um, it's just at the end of the day, there's just no reason to. I mean, there is reason to worry. There is reason to be. You know, if you don't have enough money, you're going to be worried about that. But but if we have the right perspective towards it, I guess is what I'm saying. We'll we'll rejoice and we'll be glad in what God has already given to us. So. Right, and I like what you said about it being focused on Christ. Is that if Christ is your greatest treasure, then you're going to be more concerned about drawing near to Him and becoming like Him than worried about your retirement in 20. 30 years. Not that you shouldn't think about your retirement in 20 or 30 years, but in him are hidden the treasures of wisdom. He is the, the great treasure that we're, whom we're to seek. Uh, along with that, when Jesus said, seek you first the kingdom of God, is that if you really are pursuing him first and foremost. Now, for some of us, pursuing him first and foremost is going out and doing construction to provide for our families. It's not just you know sitting in a tree reading your Bible, <laughs> but you know, that you can trust him to provide for you. I like that you brought up Matthew, I mean, Philippians 4, there's it says, be anxious for nothing and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And one thing I've done and I encouraged my counselees to do is let's look back on how God has been faithful to you up until now. You've had unemployment before. You've had debt before. You've had concern about losing your job before. And let's talk about how God has provided for you in the past. Mm-hmm. It's what the Psalms often do. Hey, we're in big trouble now. Remember Egypt? Remember the other times God has delivered us. So to be thankful to God for how he has been faithful in the past. And then just a balancing statement. I quoted Matthew 6.34, which I dearly love, when he says, every day has enough trouble of its own. Some people are going to have the problem of unnecessarily worrying about the future when they should focus on the present and what God has called them to. There are some people who ought to be more concerned. There are some people who have a wrong view of their responsibility and they need a kick in the pants because today does have trouble that you're supposed to address by going out and looking for your job instead of waiting for somebody to come to your door and instead of sending a resume to the one place you want to work and then you're you know whatever living in your parents basement while you're waiting for them to get back to you and 
yours was one of 100,000 they received, they're ignoring it. They, to go out and like Ecclesiastes said, you sow your seed in the morning, you sow your seed in the afternoon. You don't know which is going to bear fruit. Your, your, today's trouble for some people is get a job. Your job is all day long to get work rather than to misuse the other part. Well, I'm just not worrying because I'm trusting Jesus. Well, the scripture again describes if you're not willing to work, you shouldn't be eating other people's food. It's a form of stealing even, I think, in Ephesians 4. So different people need different things. There's some people who need to do who work too much. There's some people who don't work enough and some people who worry way too much. And there's some people who should have some legitimate concern that they seem to lack. Really, really well said. How, how should Christians address difficulties in their jobs? Well, we're so blessed that we're not slaves. You know, when First Peter has a you know, lengthy section, actually in chapters two and some more in chapter four, he was writing, as Paul was writing also in Ephesians and Colossians, to slaves. And so he was even telling them not to work not to put your focus on the, the master who may be mistreating you, but on the Lord whom you're ultimately serving with the hope of a reward from him and to see your vocation. And I imagine their jobs are not nearly as pleasant as most of our jobs, but to see that as service for Christ, to, and it's a witness to silence the unbelievers who would slander us. And so to see your vocation is something from God. But you know, also we're so blessed in that if you believe you have an unjust master, we live in a society where you're free to go find a better deal. And that's not sin unless you've signed a contract or something and, and obligated yourself. And so my advice would be on a practical level, find the next job before you quit the present job. I guess another piece of advice is that work is always hard. So you know, if somebody told you in some you know, guidance counselor told you in high school, just find something you love and do it. Uh, there are a lot of unemployed musicians who took that advice. And so I'm not sure that always works. There's some unemployed preachers who also took that advice. Uh, I think that you know, you, you've got to do what it takes. But um, yeah, go ahead. I'm ready for the next question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really good. Really, really good. Really good. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we even, we're even so spoiled that we have HR, so you can file your complaint, although that doesn't usually work out very well. But that's... Yeah, that's, well, I mean, that's what Paul did in Philippi, just with government authority, yeah. is that he, he used legitimate channels to say, you know, I'm a Roman citizen, you're not supposed to treat me that way. So I think Christians, again, we're so much better off than those slaves. Yeah. So, yes, you're free to look for a better position, but your expectations have to be realistic. There are thorns and thistles everywhere, dare I say it, even at seminaries. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's true. Not many here, but there could be. Right, right. That's an important qualifier. Um, what character qualities should define Christians in their jobs? Um, I think this is where Christians can really excel, and you'll hear a story of, you know, a person who is a Christian who has integrity, who will not lie, who will not uh, misrepresent uh, things. I have a friend, actually, who is an accountant, and I met him when I was in Saudi Arabia, and he was working for a Saudi family business, and he is scrupulously honest from head to toe, and I don't think they've dealt with many people like that before, hmm. and so now he's had a relationship with his family probably going on 40 years, but they found a man they could trust, a man who would be completely honest with them. Honest could sometimes be, I will not do that. I will not doctor that report. I will not misrepresent anything I'm going to be, but then they also have confidence that he's going to be completely honest as he handles their finances or otherwise. So I think to have an integrity in the workplace that stands out, I think another aspect would be, you know, in Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to this world. There can be a lot of pressure to fit in. In my first secular job, I was working for a consulting firm and it was just expected we would all go out and drink at night. And there were people, actually my boss and his boss were both going through divorces and people at work were having affairs with each other and that 
we don't want to be pietistically annoying, but I think there's a place that we we do our work with excellence, which is obviously one of those things, not as I service, but as we're serving the Lord. And but our testimony would be we don't get sucked in by the gossip, by the foul language, by sometimes the bankrupt values of the world. Sometimes it may cost you. In this day and age, uh, it's not enough to tolerate gay marriage or transgender decisions or whatever, you're expected to celebrate it. If you keep your mouth shut and don't affirm it, you could lose your job for that. And that's a place where the Christians ought to be very kind and polite, uh, but uh, hold their ground. Uh, another area would be when I first went to work, I thought that because I had studied Ephesians 6 about work ethic, that I would be the best worker in my firm because I was working for Jesus. But I realized that if I'm working for Jesus, but I also am involved in my church and I'm newly married and I want to be committed to my marriage, and I'm working with a whole bunch of people whose God is mammon, I can't keep up with them, because on Sunday I'm going to church, and they're going to the office. And in the evening, the work is done. I'm going to go home. They're going to stay in the office and keep working to compete with each other to see who can rack up the most billable hours. And so there may be times, you know, there'll be times we'll stand out for the quality and integrity of our work. There may be times when we have values that we can't compete with those. I mean, part of their God being them, and maybe they do unscrupulous things, which we may be victims of, but also for me, it was like, I'm willing to work if we need to work more, but I'm not willing to sacrifice my family and my ministry as a normal member of the local church in order to get ahead. And I was in a, a rat race type organization in the first couple of years of my career. Yeah, that's that's really hard. Um, you know, I, I remember my dad, my dad was a physical therapist for 40 years, and, and uh, part of his learning, you know, in his later years was not overworking. And, you know, he owned the business. And so he, it was him. But, you know, part of him realizing that he needed to address this was, you know, he's tired all the time. He's working too much. He's 60 hours a week. Plus he was in the military. Uh, so on the weekends he would go there and, you know, he was sacrificing his, his family on the altar of yeah. work. And he regrets that now. He, he would tell you that. And he has to me, you know, he yeah, said, I'm I, sorry. And but there's a lot of people out there that, that do that now. Yeah, I'd like to address that again from my beloved verse in Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to advantage and the one who is hasty comes to poverty. It applies also to your time as well as to your money. And I think it's more directly applicable to your time is that if you just live by the tyranny of the urgent, in many jobs, they will suck you dry and leave you no time for family, rest, or worship. And uh, pastoral ministry actually can be among the worst because there's always somebody else who wants some of you, wants to be with you, wants to be visited, wants to hang out, whatever, more things you can prepare. You're never, I've never had a sermon that was really done. You just run out of time. And so if you're, you have to... I think the picture, I would also use Psalm 90, teach me to number my days, that I've got to look at my life in the sense of how can I best honor God in, in, in my time, just like with my money. You make a budget saying God has given me $5,000 a month. How can I best honor God with this $5,000? Uh, not all of it belongs to him. I'm a steward of it. The time is the same way. Okay, I've got this many hours in the week. I know he wants me to rest. I know he wants me to be in worship. I know he wants me to spend time with my family. I know he wants to be to provide for my family. That I I need to, rather than being controlled by whoever pushes the hardest in the tyranny of the urgent, I need to plan my time in a way that I say that this is how much I can give to work and no more. And I think 
like with your dad, that the hardest person for that is an entrepreneur. Because if you turn away work, you don't know if they'll ever come back again. And I've seen that for contractors. I've even seen that for musicians. Like, you know, you get gigs coming or lessons, and this is your livelihood. You don't have a salary. It's easier if you're working for the post office, and you're done at 5 o'clock, and you start again the next day at 8. And But when it's your business, and people want you, it's really hard to turn them down, And which is why... I use Google Calendar. I encourage my students that you put out times and you make appointments with your wife and your kids and when you're going to do ministry and church is blocked out and then your work has to fit around that. And again, some people need to work a lot harder, but some people, some could, some of it could be workaholism where I'm, I want to succeed. Some of it can just be the tyranny of the urgent where I want to provide for my family. I'm fearful of losing clients if I'm not available to them every hour, day, and night. But if that is called causing me to neglect God's calling on my life in other areas. And that's where you can, you, you look at, well, this week was unusual. If you have 52 unusual weeks for 20 years in a row, then something's wrong and should have been changed. Yeah, that's that's really, really, really well said. What are, what are some of the dangers to avoid when it comes to financial issues and what are some solutions to it? Well, again, many dangers. We've talked about some of them already in terms of laziness, workaholism, materialism. The one we haven't talked about much as debt, that the borrower becomes the lender's slave in Proverbs and Romans even says, oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another. So I think we live in a culture where debt seems really easy and it, it allows you not to budget well. You know, the, the laziness of, you know, yeah, I've literally seen people say, you know, things were going okay until I had my car insurance come due and now I have to borrow money to pay my car insurance. Well, that was not a surprise. You know, you, you could have known that was coming. You should have saved for it. So I think debt is such a trap. I've seen students who haven't even had their first real job with you know, many, many tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt, not to mention as much as $100,000 of student debt. So I think people ought to see debt as a, a cancer or a plague on their finances to be avoided at great cost. I think there's a little bit more awareness of that in our culture now. So that would be one. In terms of other broad categories, I think we've, we've covered some of the others in terms of thinking that things can make you happy, overspending, overworking, underworking. That's really good. What role does the church have in helping those facing financial challenges and assisting Christians to learn uh, and to address these challenges with the Word of God? I think that because the Bible speaks to these things, that we should teach these things. If you're teaching through books of the Bible, financial issues come up. I mean, ironically, 90% of the time in many churches, when money issues come up, it's trying to tell people to give more. Hmm. Now, the Bible does talk about that, but quite frankly, if you're just expounding the purpose of the text, it doesn't come up nearly as often as preachers seem to like to talk about it. But I think the, the, the issues of working hard and vocation and temptation to worry and financial responsibility, they are, if you're going through the epistles, if you're going through Proverbs, if you're going through the Gospels, Jesus talked a lot about the spiritual issues behind money. So I think it should be built into the warp and roof of the church. And maybe it would be if we would focus on teaching these issues of finances more comprehensively rather than just trying to get people to give. Quite frankly, if they started heeding the wisdom of God about money, they might have more money they would be able to give um, mm. instead of going into debt that way sometimes to give uh, another I think would be sometimes what people need I mean, you can teach the general principles in public sometimes what happens is I sit down with a couple and we just make a budget uh, or we analyze job skills and you know you're you're making $12 an hour you're working 50 hours a week we've got to find a way you know what in your particular case what skills or aptitudes do you have that could get you from 12 to 30 or whatever in 
terms of your earnings capacity. So having someone who can be a wise deacon helping a couple sit down in terms of how do you work on your budget, how do you work on limiting debt, how do you work on becoming a better provider. Uh, to that A lot of that is you can teach some of these things publicly. Uh, I think I've done before where you have a seminar, uh, IBCD online actually, if you want to listen to it, has an all-day seminar I did, which is kind of foundation for the larger book of you know what God's Word says about you know money in general and then obtaining money and spending money and saving money and debt and all of these things. So I think we don't have to go outside the Bible to do these things. I think you could, as you're working through, bring it up as well as choose to have a topical study sometime. But I think a lot of it is going to be individual in terms of when people have trouble to give them counsel. A lot of people look to the church to bail them out of their financial troubles. And if you keep addressing the bad symptoms without addressing the cause, that will become a never-ending cycle. And so I think you're making it a condition that uh, we will not give you money, I would say first, unless you're a committed member of the church, it's part of the body. But then second of all, uh, if you're asking for money, that means that you know we have the right, and it could be a diaconal thing, to kind of get involved and see why are you out of money in terms of budgeting, debt, lifestyle, skill level, that we want to be involved in helping towards the solution of the problem, not merely putting band-aids on the hemorrhaging finances. And if someone's not willing to receive that kind of counsel, then I don't think it would be a good stewardship of the church in throwing money at people's problems. Having said that, the major ministry of the early church was helping the poor, and Paul devoted much of his ministry to bringing in a, an offering for genuine need among the churches in Judea, from the churches of the Gentiles, the ministry of the widows, the book of Acts. So it's part of what we should be about, but those are situations of genuine need. A lot of the need in, prosper, in the prosperous West is really due to financial folly, not calamity. There may be a day when some of us thought it was happening 10, 12 years ago, but there may be a day when we go through a real depression and people who want to work and want to live wisely are still in desperate straits and we're helping each other and moving into, you know, letting people move into our houses because they're just doing all that they can. Right now, most people who are having financial troubles in a place as prosperous as we're living now, it's often due to a lack of wisdom and they need help in addressing some of the folly which has gotten them into trouble. Yeah, that's uh, that's really well said. Well, for, for those interested in, uh, in addition to your book, uh, what are some additional helpful resources? You mentioned your seminar is one of them. Uh, what else would you recommend uh, for our listeners on resources on um, handling or even videos or books or blogs on money and vocation? Right. I think that you know, Crown Ministries has a lot of very practical things online. One thing I appreciate about Crown Ministries is that their stuff online tends to be free. Their books are helpful on a practical level. I think Dave Ramsey has some common grace wisdom. He's very popular in terms of just being a really good speaker and a good communicator. It bothers me a little bit that usually when you go to the website, he's usually trying to sell you something else, uh, even sometimes some of their tools online. I think that you know, what I hope we can contribute is a much greater theological and exegetical grounding to some of the common grace principles that uh, you know, Dave would advocate. I know he, he does acknowledge the Lord and encourages people to give. And so I think for some people, things like the debt snowball and you know, certainly just getting out of debt and practical ways to do that, those are really good things. So I think some of the general principles that I've been describing would be there. The difference to me would be, I want to ground that the wisdom of God is grounded in the fear of God. And it's also grounded in the fear of the Lord, who the covenant God who is in covenant with his people. So it's, it's, it's just, it's much of, it's much bigger picture sometimes than I think uh, it's often given. So I think there's a lot of practical common grace help out there. 
And uh, I think actually you know, some of Randy Alcorn's stuff speaks much better to the hard issues, the treasure principle. He's got, he's got a few books on finances that would be much closer to what I'm aiming at, not just here's how practically to make a budget and save money and get out of debt, but it's also you know dealing with the heart. And if the heart in these areas is corrected, again, if you, if you make the tree good, the fruit will be good. If you make the root good, the fruit will be pleasant. And so that's my focus. Amen. That's, that should be our focus. Oh, where where can people go uh, to find more about your work online on social media or otherwise? Yeah, well, I am on Facebook. Uh, I'm easy to find because I have a very unusual last name, Jim Neuheiser. Uh, IBCD.org is the ministry that I'm the executive director of. And there are hundreds of free audios and outlines on there, not just by me, but by kind of the all-stars of the biblical counseling movement over the last 35 years whom we've had for our conferences. I'm working on a jimneuheiser.com website, and maybe by the time this is up, it will be there. I've got a student helping me to kind of pull some of my materials together. Uh, RTS in Charlotte, uh, information about our counseling degrees, and some of my videos are up on there. And I always like to point people as well to the Biblical Counseling Coalition, which is kind of I call it the United Nations, maybe a little better than that, of biblical counseling, getting us all talking to each other and working together. And I know CCEF also has a lot of good resources. Wonderful, brother. Well, there's a, there's a lot that you know we could cover about all these things. All these questions could be easily uh, could cover our time. So just as we wrap up this conversation, can you give us a few takeaways? I think the biggest takeaway would be that if you're experiencing financial trouble, would be to begin by looking at your heart in terms of are there issues the Bible identifies that I'm struggling with in my soul that uh, may be the real root cause of these problems. I think it's also then to trust in the sufficiency of the Word of God. Is that It's a book written a long time ago, and yet there are a lot of people in the last 3,000 years who think they're smarter than God, and they try to use debt, and they do a lot of other foolish things, and God's Word is timeless, and He's given us wisdom to live in the real world, and so to pursue the particulars of that wisdom in the Scriptures, uh, my little book touches on that. The longer talks on the IBCD website or the beginning of that as well and some of the references I've given that uh, the, the Word of God, God, the grass withers, the flower of faith, the Word of God stands forever, that no matter what topic I address, I'm always just amazed at how the Bible is relevant and sufficient and he is much wiser than the wise men of our day who are even leading our nations and uh, trying to run the economies. And so as we learn that wisdom, we apply that wisdom, then hopefully we will prosper to his glory. Mm, wonderful, brother. Well, I, I very much appreciate your time in this book. It's it's so needed and it's so well written. Um, the book, guys, is titled Money Seeking God's Wisdom. Dr. Neuheiser, thank you so much for your time. Um, more than that, just thank you for continuing to uh, come on the podcast and, and to write for us. You know, um, I, I so appreciate you and the work the Lord has given you. So God bless you, sir. Well, thank you so much, Dave. You've been so kind and encouraging. That's going to help me for the rest of the day. So thank you very much. Praise the Lord. We all need that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.